again this morning. John records for us the statement of Jesus. That is the basis for our lesson. Jesus said in John chapter 10 and verse 10, I am come that they might have life, and that they might have it more abundantly. As we've said for the last several weeks, Jesus Christ wants us to live a plentiful, copious, rich, and bountiful life. And yet to live the life that Jesus wants us to live, to have that abundant life, there are things that we must overcome. There are things we must conquer. There are things we must get the best of. There are things we must do. When you get right down to it, one of the things we must conquer, one of the things that you and I must do is restore joy in our lives. When you think about it, and you think about the folks you meet at Walmart, at the courthouse, at the ball game, you run into a lot of people that it just seems like they've lost their joy. You run into so many people that they've got a face that's so long, it looks like they've been trying to suck oatmeal through a straw. I mean, you get a mental picture of that. you got a straw and you got oatmeal. You're... And that's what folks look like. Because there's no joy in their life. I read about a man and his wife the other day, who had arrived at the emergency room at the hospital. Both of them were victims of gunshot wounds. It seems the husband had, that morning he woke up late for his very first day on a new job. And the reason he woke up late was his wife, had failed to set the alarm clock. So he did what any sane and sensible man in that position would do. He shot her in the arm. Well, his wife wasn't going to let him get the best of her, so she goes into another room, she gets a shotgun, and she comes back and she shoots him in the arm. Well, they're in the pre-op unit at the emergency room. They're handcuffed to their respective stretchers, separated by a deputy sheriff. And the husband looks over and he says, I love you, baby. I'm sorry I shot you. And she looks over at him and she says, I love you too, baby. I'm sorry I shot you. Now, I'm going to go out on a limb here. And I'm going to say there really wasn't a lot of joy in that marriage. But you've got the beginnings of a really good country song. <clears throat> now, what keeps you from being happy? What keeps you <clears throat> from having joy in your life? We live, folks, in a very edgy world that's full of joyless people. We exist oftentimes in a pressure cooker of a world. And we feel it. There are financial stresses. There are continual racial tensions in our land. The family is in crisis. Divorce is common. 
the biblical definition of marriage is being challenged politically and in the courts, and people don't even know what gender they are anymore. How do you navigate all of this? How do you navigate a world that's that full of stress and change? Optimism seems to just wear off so very quickly. And then when you get right down to it, many of us who are Christians, we don't act as if there's a lot of joy in our lives. Are you familiar with Oliver Wendell Holmes, Jr.? He was a member of the U.S. Supreme Court for 30 years. He was known for his great mind, for his great legal mind and his keen wit and for his work as a jurist. And I read a story about him and his choice of a career. Because Oliver Wendell Holmes, Jr. earned the unofficial title of the greatest justice since John Marshall. And at one point in his life, Justice Holmes was asked to explain his choice of a career. He said, well, I was torn as to whether I wanted to enter the ministry or I wanted to study the law. And I probably would have entered the ministry if certain clergymen that I knew had not looked and acted so much like undertakers. That, folks, is a sad commentary on the ministry. And a sad commentary on its outlook on life. Because it's a lot like the little boy that went to church one Sunday morning. A little one kind of like Jameson back there. A good little boy for the most part. Quiet and well behaved. Didn't cause any problems. Every once in a while though he would stand up in the pew. And standing up in the pew he would turn around and Look at the people behind him and smile. And you know what? That little boy's smile was infectious. And everybody behind him would soon start smiling back at him. And everything was going well and just fine until his mother realized what he was doing. He was standing in a pew in church, turned around smiling at people. And when she saw what he was doing, she grabbed him and set him down in that pew and twisted his ear a little bit and said, You sit down. You remember you're in church. And he started sniffling and crying. And mother said, Now that's better. Maybe we're too much that way sometimes. Personally, I think it's kind of sad. That so many folks have the impression that when we come to church, it's all gloom and doom and there's nothing here to really bring joy into our lives. Our attitude in the worship and our attitude in our daily lives has an effect upon how people perceive us as Christians. And it has an effect on how people perceive Christianity and the church. 
If all they see is a long, frowning-faced religion that does absolutely nothing, what are they going to think about Christianity? When I read this book and I read about my Lord and my Savior, Jesus Christ, I don't see Jesus as a long-faced, foot-sliding, shoulder-drooping, slow-talking, depressed man. Why would crowds be attracted to someone like that? I see the Christ of the Gospels. I see Jesus as an enthusiastic, dynamic man full of joy and cheerfulness and charisma. And if the crowds were attracted to Jesus while He was here on this earth, doesn't it make sense that they would be attracted to people that lifted Him up today? Given a choice. I think all of us would want to be around people that are positive. And want to be around people that are upbeat. Be honest with yourself. If you had a choice right now of being around someone that had a smile, or somebody that looked as if they'd been weaned as an infant on a sour pickle, who would you most likely pick? Myself, I'd pick the smiley person every time. The point is, there are some difficult people in this world. And we've all had to deal with them. And a lot of folks we meet in this world need an attitude transplant. Because there's, there's some things I've never been able to get my head around. Concepts I can't get my head around. I can't wrap my head around the concept of a grumpy Christian. To me, that's one of those oxymorons that we come along in life. One of those things like jumbo shrimp, military intelligence, an honest congressman, or my personal favorite, bring me a plastic glass. A grumpy Christian, as a concept, ranks right up there with a plastic glass. It's either plastic or it's glass. I want us to think this morning, really, for a few minutes, about living abundantly. I want us to think about restoring our joy. Isn't that something we should want to do as Christians? Shouldn't we want to focus on restoring our joy? Becoming joyful to the point that those that we meet would want some of what we've got? What is it? What is joy? Joy is the evidence of God living in us. If God is in our heart, if Jesus is the Lord and Master of our life, the joy of the Lord is going to show in us. Now let's, let's don't make a mistake and confuse happiness and joy. 
Because that's what we do a lot of times. Happiness is something that depends on circumstances. Happiness depends on what happens to you. So if all the circumstances are right and the moon and the stars align just perfectly in your life, you can be happy. Joy comes from inside. When David wrote that beautiful 51st Psalm, David had lost his joy. You see, when David wrote the 51st Psalm, David had sinned. He's perhaps one of the most spectacular failures in the Bible. Remember the story we all hear first about the young boy David picking up the five little stones in his sling and killing the Philistine giant Goliath? That's one of the first stories we learned as children in Sunday school. We know that David was a poet composing more of the Psalms than anyone else. And though David was a man after God's own heart, David was also very human. His failure was one that started off so simply. He was tired. And being tired, he chose not to accompany his men and go out to battle. And then he chose to let his eye linger a bit too long on something he shouldn't have. He noticed a beautiful woman by the name of Bathsheba taking a bath. It all started so simply, but his eye lingered, and then he thought, and then he acted, and one thing led to another, and before you knew it, David was sending orders to have one of his best soldiers killed. He had a man killed to cover up a momentary indiscretion. It took God's man Nathan to come and break his heart with the story of a little lamb and reveal his wickedness. To David's credit, he loved God. And David desired the joy of his salvation more than anything else, even more than his sin. So he penned the words in the 51st Psalm. I'm going to read Psalm 51, verses 1 through 4, then skip down and read verses 12 and 13. David writes, Have mercy upon me, O God. According to thy loving kindness, according to the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgression and my sin is ever before me. Against thee and thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightst be justified when thou speakest and be clear when thou judgest. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation, and uphold me with thy free spirit. Then will I teach transgressors thy ways, and sinners shall be converted to thee. David had lost the joy of his salvation. And the reason David had lost the joy of his salvation was 
David had lost his salvation. And he lost his salvation because of his sin with Bathsheba. So he prayed. He prayed that God would forgive him and restore the joy of his salvation. When our lives become polluted by sin. When we allow sin to enter into our lives, we lose our joy in being Christians. It doesn't matter whether those sins are of a public nature or those sins are of a private nature. When sin enters our life, we lose the joy of our salvation. But yet, Luke 8 gives us other reasons for the loss of our joy as Christians. In the parable of the sower, Jesus talks about those who receive the Word with joy. But in verse 13, He speaks of those who had no root, so they withered away. You see, sometimes folks just don't have the stability or the character to remain true and faithful to God. In that same parable of the sower in Luke 8, Jesus talks of those being choked by the cares and the riches of life. That's in verse 14. And that makes us think of that rich young ruler of Luke 18. This young man that comes running to Jesus. There's enthusiasm there. And he runs to Jesus and he falls at Jesus' feet. And he says, good master, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said, thou callest me good. There's none good but God. But if thou would enter into life, keep the commandments. He said, which? Jesus tells him the commandments to keep. He enumerates them for them. The young man said, these I have kept from my youth up. What do I like now? Jesus said, if you want to be complete, go and sell everything you have. Give the money to the poor and come follow me. Jesus said, I've got to be more important to you than anything in this world. You come follow me. And this young man, I can see him. I can see him by an eye of faith come running to Jesus. And he falls at his feet. He looks up, good master, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said, go and sell all you have. And give the money to the poor and come follow me. It says he went away sorrowful. I see him shuffling his feet, walking away. It says he went away sorrowful because he had great possessions. Now, let's don't do violence to that Scripture. And let's don't do like some in our political realm today want to do. There are a lot of people in politics that need to stay out of the Scriptures. Because it sickens me to see people today who know little or nothing about the Word of God to try to take that passage of Scripture and use that passage of Scripture to justify social re-engineering and wealth redistribution in our world today. Because that's not what Jesus is talking about. Jesus is telling that young man, I've got to be the most important thing in the world to you, and if your riches are more important to you than me, then you won't be able to enter into life. Luke chapter 8 tells about others where the seed fell. They were choked by the pleasures of life. That makes us, of course, think of Demas. 
The young man that's first mentioned in Philemon 24 as a fellow laborer working shoulder to shoulder, side by side with the Apostle Paul. And then in Colossians 4 and verse 14, he's just mentioned as having his name on the roll. And then Paul tells of his pathetic end in 2 Timothy 4, where he says, Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world. So different from Moses. Moses is mentioned in Hebrews 11 as a part of faith's hall of fame. And it says in verse 24, Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing to suffer affliction with the people of God rather than enjoy the pleasure of sin for a season. It says he had respect under the recompense of the reward. Moses turned his back on all the pleasures and all the riches that Egypt had to offer because he wanted to serve God. Through the years, I've seen folks that have been members of the Lord's body for a long time start to feel a little secure and become indolent. And when folks become indolent comes the slipping away of the joy that came with the work. Sometimes we lose the sight of the importance of our salvation. And the cares of the world seem far more important to us than the joy of our salvation. And Sometimes we need to go back to the fundamentals and realize what we were saved from and what we're saved to do. What did David say in that 51st Psalm? He said, Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. We need to internalize that just like David did. David didn't say, Father, restore unto Israel the joy of their salvation. He didn't say they need salvation. He realized that he himself needed the joy of his salvation. You ever heard somebody, somebody's a member of the Lord's body, say, well, you know, they just don't give like they ought to. Well, they just don't have any enthusiasm. Well, they just don't do anything around the church. Well, they don't, and just put something in the blank there. We don't need to say they don't do this, they don't do that. What about me? Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. Having the joy of our salvation, having the enthusiasm for the kingdom of God, folks, that's an individual thing. When the final judgment comes and I stand before God, I'm not going to have to give an account for the use that Mike made of his talents. I'm going to have to give an account for the use that I made of my talents and my abilities. When
when we are on fire for the Lord. When we have restored the joy of our personal salvation. When we are breathing fire and enthusiasm, we can set anything on fire. But I have yet, in all my short life, ever seen a dead ember cause anything to burn. So what has to happen is each of us individually has to reignite our own fire, our own joy, our own enthusiasm for the things of God. As I've often said, what we really need is a holy heartburn that will set us on fire for Jesus Christ. When we have the joy of our salvation, that joy will be contagious to those that we come in contact with. And when we have the joy of our salvation, the zeal of God's house will eat us up. But here's the question. Do you have the joy of your salvation this morning? Or do you need to say with David, Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. Maybe you need to, for the very first time, put Jesus Christ on in baptism. Or maybe you need to just say, I have sinned. As David said, forgive me, Father, for I have sinned. And you need to say with David, Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. Just know this. If Jesus Christ is not the Lord and Master of all of your life today, He's not Lord and Master at all in your life today, don't leave this building without Jesus being Lord and Master of all of your life. It's His invitation as we stand and walk.